Hello, America, and welcome to a special edition of Apples to Donuts. Today, Jeff and I are going off the cuffs. Across the table for me here at the studios is Jeffrey Wambled. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Dave. How's it going? It's going good. Good. It's- I'm glad to be here. I, I really like doing these off-the-cuff segments because mm-hmm. they, they're they so random, right? We don't know where it's going to lead us. Right. Right. Anything goes. It's a lot of fun. Some of our topics, as you know, can be a little bit deep, a little bit dark sometimes because we're talking about some you know pretty serious issues. But today, I think we're going to be a little bit more on the entertaining side than maybe the educational side. I don't going, know. We'll see where we're it goes. We're not going right? off the rails. We're going off the cuffs. There you go. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. So what you been up to? What's going oh, on what in your this? world right this now? This is the middle of summer. Oh, we've got Camp Clemish coming up this weekend. Camp into next Clemish. week. Camp Clemish. Oh, it's I love the it. second annual Camp Clemish. Camp with a K. Okay. Oh, okay. So what do you do at Camp Clemish? Of course, I'm an uncle. My wife's an aunt. So we are now great uncles and great aunts. So we try to have, there's a bunch of little nieces and nephews. They're five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. So for a couple of years now, sometime in the summer, because our kids are up and out of the house, we invite the young nieces and nephews over with their parents and we try to kick the parents out. Go away, go have some fun. And we just keep the kids and we, oh, wow. We, so is we this, play house with the kids. Is this like to use the word babysitting, but like glorified babysitting? I mean, because you said the parents leave yeah, and we, you take the children on and right. you're, but you're more, it's not babysitting. That's probably the wrong word. You're counselors, camp counselors. We are camp you, counselors. You have activities planned, I'm assuming. Yep. Yep. We're going to be in the backyard. We're going to go downtown. We're going to take a trolley. We're going to get some hot dogs nice. down at a lake near us. It's, it's very exciting. There's a museum. There's a dinosaur museum. The kids are going to go see a real T-Rex. Well, except for the parts of the bones that are fake, but they will know it's a real T-Rex. <laughs> they don't have to know that yet. Yeah. You can teach that to them later, well, right? You, you know, parenting the first time through can be hard. 2 yes. a.m., diapers, no money, what are you doing for a job, homework, PTA meetings, soccer leagues. It can be a lot. The second time through, this is so much easier. Yep. And you've, yeah, because you've done it before, you know what you like. You know what your kids like, so you're going to make it extra special for your nieces and nephews, right. I'm sure. Right. So you've got things planned, like you're going to go downtown, you're going to see the uh, T-Rex at the museum. Yep. We're going to see you that. have activ- activities planned at your own house. Yep, we live near a little lake, so we're going to go down to the lake and the kids will swim. We have a, a lily pad mm-hmm. where you, you roll it out and the kids can just kind of go in the lily pad. Oh, nice. Last year, one of one of the campers... I won't say which one it was, but one of the campers, I, I looked at the lily pad, which is just this foam floaty thing, and there was these little bite marks out of it. And I looked wow. at my little nephew, my four or five-year-old nephew, and he had little foamy things on his <laughs> mouth. So well, I bet he said, I didn't do it. <laughs> I asked him. I didn't want to put him right. I didn't want to wreck his camp. So I asked him, was this, was this the lake trout, the special foam biting lake trout? He said it was. He said he saw it, and he point. He was very adamant. He pointed right over there. I saw the foam biting lake trout over there, and I tried to get it away, Uncle Dave. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we, we we both have kids. We know how these uh, the little ones uh, deny, and it's okay. Yep. He didn't want to get in any trouble. So one of that's my awesome. one of my favorite things I like to do, former teacher, all that stuff. I know how to stay calm with kids. I like it when any of the campers maybe have a temper tantrum or they really want something, so mm-hmm. they maybe. When they were younger, they might throw a fit. I just walk by them and I go outside because I'm the uncle. I'm not the parent. So I don't get caught up in the temper tantrums. Maybe and, I did when I was a parent. Mm-hmm. But as the great uncle, oh, okay, go ahead. Have your, have your fit. Let me know when you're done. There you go. And, and they don't be, know what to do. 
Right, because you know what to do. You've been through this before. You've got education in this area, so you know how to handle. Yeah. And they realize real quick, wait, I'm not getting the attention yep. that I thought I was going to get or the attention I was going to get from a parent. Oh, this isn't working. I think I'm going to give in and I'm going to do something else. We right? do have, it starts this coming Friday, where parents are, kids are, campers are arriving Friday evening. It goes till next Wednesday. But there's some afternoon fishing sessions. We're looking for a fishing expert, somebody who knows how to wade out and catch fish. Hey, I know somebody that could help you there. <laughs> I know he's sitting across from you right now. Yeah. I would love to get a hold of him for you yeah. and maybe have him help teach the kids how to fish. Oh, is it somebody who's uh, used to be a police officer or is a police officer? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I like that. Yeah, I'll talk to him. <laughs> no, I'd be happy to. Seriously, that would be great. Maybe we'll catch that really big crappie again, like I told you about. As big off as your, the off the show. As big as your forearm. You forearm. Said. Yes. Yes. As big as my forearm. Biggest crappie I ever caught. So I I know uh, podcasts aren't really good for showing pictures, but I did see Jeff's picture of the crappie, and it looked the size of a pinky. <laughs> but he insists it was as big as a forearm. It was as big as a forearm because, like I told you, I was holding the fish away from the camera because I was taking it mm-hmm. myself versus, you know, that trick where when you hold a fish towards the camera, you, well, you hold it towards the camera, right. I should right. say. You hold it so straight So it looks out. like the fish yep. is bigger because it's closer to the camera. I did it the opposite way. That's why it looks so small. I just But I realized. thought I proved my case when you saw my finger in the fish's mouth. It was a, yeah. And there was room for three more fingers. Yeah. Yeah, this is going off the rails real yeah. quick. I thought you said we weren't going to go off the rails. Oh, we're going off the cuffs. Yeah, we're going off yeah. the cuffs. Off <laughs> this the is cuffs. going off the rails real quick. <laughs> but you know what, oh. Dave? Getting back to the topic for a minute. When you were talking about your niece, I believe it was, mm-hmm. that maybe threw a tentra- uh, temper tantrum, mm-hmm. that reminds me of something I learned a long time ago. After my kids had grown up, when a child, for example, would run and fall down, if you say, oh, oh my God, and you get nervous, they start crying. But if you would look at them and maybe laugh and say, oh, you're so silly, you know, and, and maybe laugh, they would start laughing. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of on the same order of what you were talking about with the temper tantrum. They don't know They don't know what the correct response is, so they look to the adult for guidance. Right. So it, Camp Clemish really sounds exciting to me. It, it kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, and I would go with my friends down to the, to the local creek, which was a couple blocks from our house, and we would catch crayfish and tadpoles. And, and you, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Did yeah. you do that as yep. a kid? Yeah. Yeah, we'd go down to the creek down past... Just down the block from my grandma's house, past the senior center, there was a senior center across the street. There was no internet, no Xbox, so we would walk around trying to figure out what to do. And we'd go grab crayfish in the little creek and mm-hmm. mess with them and or uh, yep. investigate and learn. That's what we did, too. Did you ever put the crayfish together and make them fight with each other? My older brothers might have done that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but not you, yeah. right? I won't not say you, which Mr. of my Teacher. three older brothers. Uh-huh, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I do feel bad, though, because we would do that once in a while, and... Every once in a while, one of the crayfish really got the short end of the stick and lost one of its claws. Oh, that's, yeah. That's pretty sad. Yep. I mean, <laughs> I think they grow back, though, don't they? Can I, can I go a fun side point on crayfish? Sure, let's do it. Third grade elementary school lesson used to be the crayfish lesson for science. Like all, all across, maybe not every elementary school, but most or many, many elementary schools, you study the crayfish and you study the thorax and the antenna and the little uh-huh. grabbers and pincers. And then... It was cool because you'd get real crayfish and put them in your third grade classroom. Mm-hmm. And then over winter break, somebody had to take the crayfish home and you pull a name out of a hat. Very exciting. Those crayfish, I now know, 
we, we later we did this invasive species unit for a third grade class. Mm-hmm. We found out that the Ohio River crayfish is what's used for all of these lessons. So how does an Ohio River crayfish from Ohio get over the Rocky Mountains to invade the streams in Oregon and Washington? It has to be from people. Yeah, some some uh, school district orders the kit. Oh, it's flown wow. out there. And when you're done with a crayfish, who wants to kill a crayfish? Like who wants to, You're supposed to put them in a freezer and freeze them, but no one wants to do that, so you release them. So now the Ohio River crayfish is an invasive species west wow. of the Rocky Mountains because of third-grade science lessons. Very interesting. So, well, I'm curious, did this species harm any of the environment on the west side of the Rockies? The, apparently the Ohio River crayfish is, is big. Oh. I didn't know that until I, I was a teacher. But, yeah, they take out all the other crayfish in the cricks. In so the it rivers. is a problem. So the local crayfish is getting pushed out because the, the big Ohio River crayfish is bigger. Did those crayfish start protesting by any chance about these other <laughs> Ohio Yeah, <crayfish>? yeah. <laughs> Stay no, on your but side so of the seriously, mountain. they would take out the other species. Right. So in your studies, did they stop sending the crayfish from Ohio to uh, I think I the think they still states? send it, but maybe it's changed now. But we are very, very, very much encouraged to put the crayfish in the freezer, which is typically in the teacher lounge. <laughs> but who wants to do that? Don't release them into the wild. Okay, at least you didn't say put it in the teacher coffee pot, so that's, that's yeah, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Nice so, so you did the same thing that I did, uh, you know, as children, and we caught the crayfish, and you said you were in South Dakota? South Dakota, yep. So we were, actually, one of the trips that we did from Grandma's house was a, a long, hot South Dakota summer, mm-hmm. and we did this, like, most every summer. We're out there for the 4th. And my parents take us out into the country, 10, 12, 20 miles out in the country. And sitting out there, I think it's still there from the 1880s, is an old Clemish schoolhouse back from pioneer days when the Clemish family went to South Dakota. Well, I, I'm getting a vision of Little House on the Prairie because was, that was similar to the area where Little House yep, was, that right? Was Minnesota? Southwest Minnesota. This was southeast South Dakota. A lot of Souths in there. Yeah. So 1880s. The 1880s, this school building was built, mm-hmm. and it's the Clemish Schoolhouse. It was a Cle- yeah, and it, it's just it looks like Little House in the Prairie. It's just a smaller than our our massive studios here, <laughs> but it, it was old, and there was some headstones there, and there was some Clemishes on the headstones. Wow. But I'm guessing when people came across, you get to Chicago, and you get out to South Dakota, Iowa, North Dakota. You mm-hmm. know, keep keep things going west. A family would settle, and there'd be a bunch of cousins and maybe some friends. Wow, that's, so, that's interesting. So the person that built this schoolhouse with your name, what was the relation to you? Did you ever investigate? There was, I think there was four Clemishes that came across. So there's four brothers. So it was one of those four brothers, one of my great, 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 great uncles. Impressive. So a little throwback. Yeah, I, I like that. The Wambles like probably that. came across about the same time. I don't know. I, I have a feeling it might be a little bit later. It's more like the 1900s for my family, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. I never investigated. One thing in South Dakota, for fishing, like there was cricks for crayfishing. Mm-hmm. The Missouri River was cool if you want to go big fishing, but there wasn't a lot of fishing compared to like when I grew up as a kid. Did you spend a lot of time fishing too? Actually, no. We didn't have a, a pond or a lake near my house. We had cricks kind of strange 
and they would flood from time to time, and that's where we'd get the tadpoles, where we'd get the crayfish. When they would flood, we'd overturn rocks and dig in the holes, and sometimes mm-hmm. they were just sitting there. That was fun. No no big fishing hooks for you? No. no. We used to go down to the river and pull carp out of the river. We brought a big carp home one time, and my dad was like, oh, carp are fun to catch. We weren't a carp-eating family. Other families <laughs> might, but it wasn't us. But it was fun to catch, though, right? It was fun to right. catch. I came home from the creek one time, and I showed my grandma a crayfish, and she got to talking. And I think she was one of the first people in our family to be born here. Uh-huh. But she would tell stories when she went to kindergarten, or whatever it was called back in 1903, 1908. Mm-hmm. She didn't speak a lick of English. So she would go sit in her first grade or kindergarten class, and the teacher in South Dakota would teach, 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 and she had no idea what was going on. So there was a big language barrier, obviously, right? She would sit in the class. So what, what did she do? Walk to school with the kids? or I mean, how did they well, even get to question. school? Did I, they take a, a horse-drawn wagon or I what? I think they, they were uh, dairy farmers, lived on some 200-acre parcel, so there probably wasn't a group of kids walking down the sidewalk. I, I think her dad, my great-grandfather, must have put her on a, on a horse or on a little wagon. and mm-hmm. what, Wagon's not the right word, but... Wagoned her to school. We might drive to school, but they just get in the wagon and take her in. Yeah, that's how they did it back then. Again, I'm, I'm thinking about Little House on the Prairie when uh, Pa Ingalls was taking yep. little Laura and the other kids to, to school. No, actually, I take that back. They were walking. They'd have to go into town on the on the wagon. So so you're, what you're saying is back then they didn't have a car. They didn't have a car. Interesting. And nowadays, she, what would we do? Yeah, we would drive for cars. What would you take in high school? How'd you get to... Oh, my... I, uh, Oh, good question. Let me think back for a minute. Yeah, I had my very first car, Dave, was a 1969 Javelin, and it was pretty fancy. I paid $500 for it. Was it green? No, it was purple, of all things. A purple Javelin. It had a three-speed on the floor, Mm -hmm. um, clutch back then, but it was a pretty cool car for a 16-year-old. It was a sports car. How much? And $500. 500 And I I will tell this story that... um, I forgot about it until you just mentioned it. <laughs> I ruined the car. And how I ruined it is this. One day, I am driving, and out of the blue, a buzzer starts going off in my car. So I reach under. It was driving me crazy. It was going on for quite a while. I reach under the passenger seat, and there were some wires there. I, I followed a wire from where I thought the buzzer might be, right, to, uh, making it the story shorter than it was. And I find these wires, but I just get so irritated, I just pull the wires, and I stop the buzzing. <laughs> but what I also did was pull a wire that told me when the car needed oil because I was 16. I didn't really check the oil all that often, so my oil light didn't come on. Next thing I knew... I know I burn out the engine, so I now you know my you, nice car. Now you get the little plastic sticker, and it tells you yes. when the odometer flips over. Back you way long back time ago, yeah, there wasn't an odometer, but it didn't have all the. Fa- and this was a 1969 car too, so yeah. that was actually old for when I bought it. That's why it was only five hundred dollars. It wasn't a brand new car, so it was an older car, and it had all these problems with it to begin with, including oh now. It, I remember it was when someone would sit on the passenger seat, the buzzer went off. So I knew it was something underneath the passenger seat. So I ripped out the wires, ended up pulling the oil light wire, and the rest is history. I never put oil in the car and burnt out the engine. So you bought a used 69 Chevy 
Nope. I'm sorry, dart. Javelin. A, a U69 javelin when you were yep. in high school, but you graduated high school in 52, I thought. Oh. <laughs> no? No. No, maybe 82. 80, okay. 82. Okay. You're off by 30 years. Just, That's just it. close. So what about you? What kind of car did you I have in high school? I had a $500 1975 orange Ford Pinto. Oh, a Pinto. The Ooh, 70, was that the one that the 76s blew up, I think, or the 74s. We had the 75. So yours was safe. It was safe. Safer. Say five hundred dollars, four speed on the floor. Wow! And uh, it was special because every time we went over a puddle, mm-hmm. our feet would get wet. <laughs> so it holds it, in the floor. It, it was that kind of car. Like you could leave the car running with wow. twenty bucks in the seat. I would call that your Fred Flintstone car. Then, if your feet could go through, hit the ground, and mm-hmm. that's how you powered the uh, the vehicle. My high school English teacher used to laugh at us because we'd all drive. It was a small little town. It was probably a mile from my house to the high school, mm-hmm. but. The design was tough, so there was always traffic getting in. There's always traffic getting out. And then you'd park at the far end, and you have to walk. And so our high school English teacher, who's a fascinating person, he would bike to school, and he just laughed at us. He's like, why are you all driving? Just bike. And he had this foldable bike. It would fold up to the size of, like, a, a big briefcase. Uh-huh. And he would just walk it, come in the in the door, the side door, because, of course, nothing was locked back then. Mm-hmm. But he would just walk it to his desk, fold it up, and then start teaching English and he just laughed every single day. He he always said, "Look at the data. Like look out the window. You can see we're seventeen, twenty seven, thirty seven cars deep. Just bike. You can get right past all that." That's well. He's not wrong in that circumstance. Yeah. I, when years later, when I went to college, there was a professor that I had that would do similar things to what your teacher did, and he would bike to school every day no matter what the weather conditions. I mm-hmm. remember driving past him on uh, one of our county highways, and it was almost blizzard-like conditions, not quite, but almost. I remember seeing this, and he was pedaling away, slipping and sliding until he got to, to school. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was interesting. I worried about his safety. I hope he's still doing okay, but I, that's very dangerous too. Yeah. So take it with a grain of salt, I guess, right? My Mr. Kaler, 10th grade English, he... He had seven helpful, helpful hints to happiness. He had all of these things. He's one of the most significant teachers for me, Mr. Kaler. He passed a couple of years ago. Helpful hints to happiness. He would never say, this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. But he would have helpful hints to happiness. And one of those would be like, put your name on the paper and write so I can read it okay. and things like that. But there was this one lesson one of the first days of school of 10th grade. He was trying to teach us the difference between a literal meaning and a figurative meaning mm-hmm. and a, like a spoken meaning. So he had somebody step outside the class, and he, he, he was kind of like Robin Williams from, from Good Morning Vietnam, but he pushed his desk over by the door, and the kid came in, and he yelled at the kid, scissors, scissors, scissors. That's like the spoken meaning of, he's like, that doesn't do anything. So then the kid went back out, and he wrote the word scissors on a piece of paper. And then the kid walked in, and he threw the paper at him, because that's the written word. Okay. So the third time the kid goes out, and Mr. Kaler jumps off of his desk and he has scissors in his hand and he goes to not really stab him, but like fake stab him. So it was this great lesson that we all love because there's the spoken word, there's a written word, and there's there's the actual object. It was this great vi- lesson, vivid thing. And nowadays we probably get in trouble, but it was a, it was a great lesson. <laughs> what a good teacher! Yeah, just and entertaining. The desk right over, held everyone's attention. I'm sure wasn't just lecturing. Mm-hmm. He showed. He didn't yeah. tell. He showed. Right, you're right. With show, like don't that. tell. Mm-hmm. I like that. 
And that reminds me, I had a professor in college back in the, a long time ago, back in the 80s, that he was an English professor. And the first day of class, I remember walking in, I sat down, the professor was just leaning against the wall, uh, hands in his pocket. We're like, what's this guy doing? Next thing you know, out of the blue, he does a headstand against the wall, puts his hands on the floor, his head's on the floor. I don't know how he did it. The floor wasn't carpeted. It was had to be painful. And then all the stuff in his pockets fell onto the floor, making a ton of noise. He had change. He had coins. Some papers fell out. And again, I think that was part of his act to get our attention, to get the show rolling, so to speak, the very first day of class. That's a brilliant professor. Yeah, I think so. For, In hindsight, at the time, we didn't, you know, I'm just a young college show kid. Up, I didn't know anything. Whatever, English 101, Science 101, and he just does that, and now you're all riveted. Yes, and he was a good teacher, though. Um, and I do remember the sad story about him just hit me is he wanted tenure, and he was due for tenure, but the college wouldn't give it to him, so he left. He had choices. And he had choices, yeah. He Here's had my choices. Side. That's right. <laughs> and the school lost a good professor. Sadly, that took me back to some intro to chem course. I took one chemistry course. I'm lucky to have passed it. But on the first day, the the professor, the there was five metal balls that were hanging from on a string, and he picked mm-hmm. one back, one up, and he let it go, and the balls keep going back and forth. Right, and eventually they stop. But at the same time, there was this little, like a, a weighted bird with a beak, and he pushed the weighted bird with a beak, and that just kept going back and forth. Mm-hmm. The weighted bird with a beak never stopped moving the five little metal balls eventually they stopped and he first day of class same kind of thing and he looked up at the at all of us he said how come this one stopped how come this one's still going it was this brilliant way to get into chemistry or right and it was something about the, the bird the beak of the bird was dipping into some water and then there was evaporation and i don't know what it was going on but i remember like like you i don't remember the point of the lesson mm-hmm. but i sure i certainly remember the, the uh, shock and awe of getting our attention. Right. And you got to wonder what, what you know, when I went to the class the next time, the next week, what was going to happen? Right. You know, you don't know. So right. I'm on edge. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to see what the next interesting thing this professor was going to do. So I've been reading up on, on different teachers, and I came across an old story. Randy Pausch, who wrote a book called The Last Lecture, pretty famous back in 2008 or so. He was talking about, um, this wasn't in the lesson, but he was a super famous professor on campus. Everybody loved him. At some point when he was younger, he's like 45 or so. When he was in his 20s, he wanted to be an Imagineer working at Disney. So oh, nice. he said, I just want to be an Imagineer. And he was a computer science kind of guy. So he just, that was his goal. And he figured out all the obstacles. And by golly, he became an Imagineer at Disney and he revamped one of their rides. After that, he said, I want to teach at Carnegie Mellon. And he set that as a goal and overcame obstacles. When he, So he's this famous professor on campus, and when he got married, he told all of his students, I'm taking two weeks for my honeymoon, no one call me. And everybody said, oh, of course, we won't call you. He said, but just in case, I'm turning off my cell phone, and all the students and his coworkers were kind of freaking out. They're like, well, what if it's an emergency? Mm-hmm. He gave everybody, all the students, all of his coworkers, he said, here's the phone number for my mother. She lives in a condo down in Tampa. She will know the phone number of the resort where I'm at for my honeymoon. So if there is an emergency, call my mother, and she will be sure to call me. Smart. Guess how many people called his mother? Right. Zero. Zero. Right. He knew he put that extra step in 
and nobody was yeah. going to take that step unless there was an actual emergency. But we know how college kids are, right? They might call about breaking a pencil tip. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Or I don't mind disturbing you on your honeymoon, but I don't <laughs> want to bother your mother in her retirement. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's too high exactly. of a standard. Interesting guy, sounds like. He gave a lecture called The Last Lecture, mm-hmm. I guess in professor world, when you're about to be done professoring, mm-hmm. typically when you retire. You give your last lecture, and it's just about anything you want. So he gave this hour lecture with slides, and he talked about his time at, as an Imagineer at Disney. And he was 45, and so he was going to be finished doing his professor career. And on the stage, this is on YouTube somewhere, he got on the ground, on the floor, and he did like 25 push-ups because he was in shape. And he stood up, and he's like, I just did 25 push-ups. I feel great. He might have grabbed a jump rope and, you know, jumped uh, for a minute. He said, And he I, did this in front of the audience. Yeah, part of his okay. last lecture. Okay. Kind of like that shock and awe, like your professor did the headstand. Sure. And then he put a slide up on the, on the overhead, and it was a bunch of cells. And he said, you're probably wondering what this is. This is a slide showing, I just got this yesterday from my doctor. These are my, this is the cancer growing in my pancreas. This is my pancreatic cancer. This is what's happening inside my body right now. Wow. I feel great. I just did 25 push-ups. I jumped rope for a couple of minutes. These cells that you see will kill me in three months. I am dead in three months. That is a powerful lecture. It is. And that was truly his last lecture. He wasn't retiring. He, was, he knew he was going to die. And he took the time to put together an hour-long presentation, his last lecture, which is, I might, maybe I'll watch that this weekend on YouTube. It's just a powerful, powerful thing about if you can figure out what you want, mm-hmm. the obstacles are meaningless. You can get past obstacles. Right. And there's so many more things besides being an imagineer and, and, and teaching at Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, that, that reminds me of something my dad used to tell me. When you have an obstacle, he says you keep trying until you run into a wall that you can't go around, under, over, or through. The purpose of life, in my opinion, Jeff, is not to achieve a goal that I have set for myself. But rather, the purpose of life is knowing that I can work hard to get there. That's very inspiring. Until next time on Apples to Donuts.